Everybody hates a nagger. Someone that just nags and nags and nags and keeps on repeating obviously what they want for you to comply with, to give in to, or whatever. How the supreme nagger, of course, is Lucifer the fallen. Satan himself is a nagger. And then, of course, there are many that we even love, but we get so sick of them going on and on and on about the same old thing until we give in and comply and commit to their desires. Today we're going to have a look at some remarkable things that happen in the spirit world so I can show you what to look for when that enemy of your soul comes to break down your resistance, to entice you, seduce you, and bring you into a place of bondage, a place you never wanted to be in, to do things you never thought you'd do, to think thoughts that are dark and sinister and undermine your faith. That's the working of the spirit of this world. Stay with us for this podcast. It will be enlightening. It won't be so pleasurable, but it will save you a lot of strife, pain, and it will save you from destruction. When we last met, we talked about a number of things. We talked about the conditioning that goes on in the world today and even in the church to believers. We are subject to the mysterious voice, the seduction of Satan, as he begins to try and get us off the narrow path that leads to life eternal. We go back right into the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, and we look at the third chapter there and we see how that he was able to seduce this woman called Eve and then through her, the man that she loved and wanted to spend her whole life with, and they became defiled, and the Bible says they fell from grace because they listened to this voice, the voice that nagged and nagged and nagged, and finally they gave in. The third chapter is the book of Genesis and in the book of Genesis, the third chapter, we have this seduction of the soul. How does it start? How does it begin? Because it's the same today, so many years later from that first seduction, that Satan uses the same tactic to bring us down. He showed the woman the fruit of the tree. And it says there in chapter 3 of Genesis and verse 6 that when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate it. And then she influenced her husband and gave it to him to eat. And certainly they entered into an understanding that God never intended. He wanted them to be kept from all the 
rigours and the tumult of that dark world of disobedience. Friends, that's how it starts. You see, Satan will entice by knowing who we are, knowing what we want, knowing what really, well, crudely put, what turns us on, he will provide that and then he will begin to weave a web of deceit. You can have this. You can have that. Why shouldn't you have this? Others have got it. Why aren't you allowed to be able to enjoy what you want? And thus Satan begins to strip people of that which God fully intended them to have, his blessing through righteousness. And Satan's desire is that you have what he offers and what you desire through deception and iniquity. Now, when we come to the second coming of Jesus Christ, prior to that, the Bible shows us that it's going to be a very dark and a mysterious time. Just before the great deliverance out of Egypt, when the Israelites were in captivity, but had a call of God to leave Egypt under Moses and go to a promised land, there were signs that were there before them to encourage them and signs of judgment for Pharaoh so that he might escape the terrors that were coming if he would yield to the will of God, which was, let my people go. Of course, he was stubborn and hard and his heart was hard. So uh, when it says there that God hardened his heart, he just brought it to a conclusion. And you know, Pharaoh just repeatedly would make concessions to the words that he said to Moses. Yes, you can go. Yes, you can go, but. And of course, that's satanic, isn't it? We get things by concession. And really, we are compromising the word of God. Now, let me just say this, that prior to that last awful judgment that came on Egypt, there was a time of great darkness that came over all of Egypt, except in the areas, Goshen, where the Israelites lived. There was light in their dwellings because there was light in their soul. But the rest of Egypt was subject to terrible darkness. And that's how it's going to be and is at this present time. There's gathering darkness. The Bible tells us that evil seducers will wax worse and worse. And that's where we are now. And there's been a rapid decline in insight and understanding of the things of God and an appreciation for the things of God. Why, about five decades ago, six decades ago, we... uh, At least, even if we weren't born again, we had a wholesome understanding of the righteousness of God, the goodness of God, the law of God. And we had a very clearly defined understanding between that which is right and that which is wrong. But spiritual darkness has come over the earth. Gross darkness, the Bible says. And as a result, we are now making concessions even to blatant and obvious reality 
and we're saying, oh no, we're stretching truths and making them lies. Because you see, behind all this deception is the God of this world, the prince of the power of darkness, Satan himself. How does Satan seduce us so masterfully? Well, it's very easy. You see, he attracts with truth. And as we are beguiled into believing and seeing and understanding there's truth in what he says, he then twists it. And that truth then becomes a lie. And if we have taken the elixir of satisfaction that he gives and are tantalized by his errors and by his lies, what happens is that we succumb to his venom and poison and we become duped, we become doped, and we become dark. Let's go into the scriptures and have a little look at some of the things that the Bible says will happen in this dark period of time just before the Lord returns. I'm turning in my Bible to 1 Timothy and I'm reading from chapter 4 and verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly expressly, that means there's great emphasis here, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. Let's go back to the first two verses. The Spirit expressly says that in the latter times there will be a departure from the faith. There will be a breaking down of God's morality, God's theology. People will depart from the faith and take on many faiths or no faith and give themselves to deceiving spirits and to doctrines of demons. Isn't that awful that that will overtake the world and has done, and we can see that for ourselves every day of the week. You can see it in the newscasts when you get up in the morning, turn on the news, when you read your paper, whatever the means or the type of newscasts you access, you'll see the effects of darkness, which is a fulfillment, of course, of the prophecy regarding the return of the Lord. Now, when we turn to the book of Jude, which is the second last book in the New Testament, oh, he paints an awful picture of the dark days. And he talks about the fact that when the Lord is coming, he is coming to execute judgment on all. And that is Jude 15 to convict all who are ungodly 
who have committed deeds that are ungodly and spoken against him. This is the ultimate intention and the will of Satan in the bringing about of darkness and distortion into our minds and our lives. It is ultimately to blaspheme God because, of course, Christ won the victory over him. Anything that is of God, Satan hates. And so his intention is to seduce us through sin. And by sin, we are bound so that ultimately we become enemies of God. And he talks about the awful way that our personalities are warped and changed. And it's really quite frightening. The Bible says that when he comes, he will execute judgment on those who are, verse 16, grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. And they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, there's making a distinction between the true believer and those that have been sucked in to Satan's whims, fancies, and temptations. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. There you are. That's the second time that's mentioned in three verses. In verse 16, that we are able to view people who are living purely and only and absolutely according to their own lusts. And so that is repeated in verse 18, that these mockers in the last time would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. You see, Eve succumbed because what she looked at soon became a desire. Then that desire became demanding, and before long, she just had to have it because it became a lust within her soul. And that's why it's important for us to guard our minds, to guard our hearts with all diligence, the Bible says. We must be careful that we don't allow our minds to wander. Usually, Negativity is the open door to an inrush of satanic influence. Be very careful. Oh, why haven't I got this? Why haven't I got that? Why can't I have what others have got? How often do we say that? And then it takes hold in our spirit. And before long, we become absolutely in bondage to that thing. And so we have it here that in the last time there would be those that are mockers and they would be mocking who? Well, they'll start with mocking flesh and blood. The church, they'll mock the church. They'll mock the preaching of the word of God. They'll mock Christians who are living morally upright lives. And then they'll mock, ultimately, the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, God the Spirit. And the Bible says in verse 19 of Jude, these are sensual persons. They are not people that are guarded by their spirit, but by their senses, their emotions, their desires, and their lusts. 
and they cause all kinds of divisions. And we get that in the church and we get that in society. A very disunited society comes because we are giving ourselves to the darkness that's in the world, not having the spirit. Now, let's, by relief and contrast, look at the next verses, making a distinction. And Jude says to the believers, but you believers and you beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some, have compassion, making a distinction. Others, save with fear. In other words, go into the world with this wonderful fragrance of Christ that's in you, built up in God, knowing where you are in God, knowing how you're motivated, and go into the world, and when you go into the world, rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Be merciful to the broken. And for those that are adamant, harsh and hard and determined in their darkness, well, save them with fear. Tell them there is a fire about to be kindled on the earth and bring them out of their darkness. Yes, friends, we live in a very, very, very dangerous world. We know that. And why, why is it so dangerous? Let's go back to Second Thessalonians and chapter 2. This is a remarkable chapter. It speaks of this day, this very hour that we're in. Now, brethren, verse 1, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you, verse 2, not to be soon shaken in your mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter. Now, there were people that were falsifying Paul's letters. And so he goes on to say, be careful, even when you get a letter that you think came from us. And that is that the day of the Lord has already passed, that there is no second coming. There is no coming of Christ. Well, you know, just the other day, about a week ago, I think it might have been, I had a phone call from a friend of mine, and we were talking about a number of things. This man is now a retired pastor, and we had a wonderful conversation about different things and people, and his own brother, who we both knew. He knew him as a brother. I knew him as a friend, and he had just died recently, and we were talking about his life. Then his wife, this friend of mine's wife, said, may I just chip in there? I want to ask Tony something. She said, have you heard the new doctrine that's going around? I said, well, maybe, but I don't know. You tell me. She said, oh, it's a doctrine regarding the second coming of Jesus. Oh, I said, no, I'm not sure that I've heard anything recent. In fact, my great lament is that people are not talking enough about the coming of the Lord. Oh, she said, this new doctrine is in Bible schools, it's in churches, it's been talked about, written about, 
everybody's sort of getting on the bandwagon, that really all the prophecies of Matthew chapter 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, they are all over and done with. And there isn't a second coming as we have been taught. And we shouldn't worry about it. We just get on with the work of God and don't have that immediacy. Don't have that challenge of looking to the coming of the Lord. Well, the Bible says that that's not a new doctrine. False though it is, it is an old doctrine. Let no one deceive you, says Paul to the Thessalonians in chapter 2 and verse 3 of the second letter. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless there is Again, as Paul said to Timothy, he says to the Thessalonians, there will be a falling away. There will be a tremendous falling away. And then after a period of time, that man of sin will be revealed, the son of hell, the son of perdition. And he, of course, is the Antichrist. Now, there are two schools of thought here. Many believe that that falling away has been wrongly translated. I tend to agree that this is really the departure of the believers from this world in what has been commonly called the rapture of the church. And then the man of sin is revealed, that son of perdition. So in other words, immediately after the church is gathered away and has gone into the presence of the Father, immediately that happens, then there will become a lull in the world and there will emerge someone that is going to lasso, as it were, all the nations of the world with all their complexities and differences, both religiously and politically and socially, and with all their varying customs. He is going to be able to gather the whole world and make them seemingly one. And the Bible says people will say, oh, Peace, 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 where there is no peace. But suddenly, with his taking over, there will be destruction. And the reason is, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, he opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God, in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So it appears to me that there will be a building of the third temple in Jerusalem, and this Antichrist will be so similar to all the good that Jesus said and did that people will embrace him and say, ha ha, this is the one we should look for. And he will be able, by fair means and certainly foul, to be able to build the third temple on the temple site, dominating Jerusalem. And from there, he will take an enthronement and enthrone himself 
and will say, I am as God. Now, the Bible says that prior to that, and that includes now, and verse 6 proves that, that there is a restraining influence on that spirit of Antichrist. And yet, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, surreptitiously. There is a work of darkness going on now, a demonic influence into the world that we know, we love, we work, we just have our existence in. There is this spirit of lawlessness. It's called the mystery of lawlessness. And it's already at work. And only God, who now restrains, will do so until he is taken away. That is, Christ and God the Holy Spirit in the church, until that wonderful day of rapture, then, then the evil one will be revealed. Isn't that awful? And that's what it says, verse 8. And when he is taken out of the way, that's the church infilled with the Holy Spirit, then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So we have the two aspects of the second coming. We have the sudden disappearance of the blood-washed and those that are clean through the word of God, the gospel, and are living lives that are, well, a reflection of the life of Jesus in holiness and truth. And then they're taken away. The evil one, this man of perdition or son of perdition, will appear. He will cajole the world. He will diplomatically rule. And when he is opposed, as he will be, he then takes power and authority over all opposition. And there will even be martyrdoms for those that really believed the truth but had not been ready for Jesus' coming and had been left behind. So there'll be great chaos. And then, then suddenly the Lord will appear again in his glory. How wonderful that will be. The Lord is coming again. And when he does... Oh, the Bible says the evil one will be consumed with the breath of his mouth and with the brightness of his coming. So there is this spirit of Antichrist that's going on in the world today, and we have to be very, very careful that we don't succumb to the overtures of the evil one. Yes, there is a conspiracy that goes on, but it's not just earthly conspirators that we need to be worried about. It's that wickedness in high places that Ephesians 6 talks all about. And we'll talk about it again when we next meet. Get into the Bible, friends. Study 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus and Jude and really meditate upon those scriptures. Matthew 24, Luke 21. In fact, all of the Olivet Discourse starts with Matthew 23, 24, 25. Those three chapters are full 
of principles, promises, and prophecies regarding the return of the Lord. We are just informally opening our Bibles, not just anywhere, but guided by the theme that we are pursuing, how that we can escape that great deception and be ready absolutely for the coming revelation of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our King. Music